You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. It's good to see you all here in the room and uh, those that are online. And uh, somebody forgot to tell you it's June and you came to church. Way to go. That's awesome. Yeah, this church around in Central Oregon during June is pretty sparse, so I love it when I see a crowd on, in June. It's really fun and good to have you here. We're in a series on emotional and healthy spiritual practices. We're really looking at what does it mean for, to, for people to be healthy, uh, especially coming out of the year that we've had. Uh, we need to spend some time just talking about our emotional and spiritual vitality. And, um, and so um, let's dive in. Uh, today we're gonna talk about um, how love is the measure of our maturity and how love helps us to be emotionally and spiritually healthy. Let me tell you a story first though. I, uh, um, it was the mid 90s. I was in, my wife and I were in our mid 20s and uh, we were planting a church in Sisters out of Westside here in Bend. And, uh, um, and I was so stoked about it. I was so excited about planting this church. I gave everything to it. I spent time with the core team that we had developed. Every day I was in their homes and meeting together and um, just in preparation. And, um, and there was a lot of demands, obviously. Um, you know, it was kind of just me as the one pastor on, on the team. And so we were just developing, doing leadership development and everything. I was just pouring myself into it. Um, we had two young kids at the time. Um, our two oldest were just were under three years of age, um, and uh, and so Suzanne was quite busy with that. and And I thought everything was going great. Um, I mean, I thought everything was going fine until we got pregnant with our third. And uh, Suzanne, um, I remember where I was actually exactly when Suzanne said what I'm going to tell you. She said to me, I remember we were on we were driving back from Ben to Sisters. We were I know exactly the road the, where we were at. Four Sister Lodges right over here. We were just coming into Sisters. I remember very vividly because Suzanne said, "Steve, ministry is more important to you than your family." Now I'm I was totally emotionally healthy, and so I responded so well. <laughs> After I told her she was wrong and what is she talking about and you don't know what you don't know what you're saying and everything is fine everything is great what are you talking about we have a, we joke now but um, I thought that I thought that entered into um, our first our first bad year of marriage year six Suzanne said it was year one through six so that <laughs> tells you how emotionally unaware I was uh, for the first five years of our marriage so. Uh, we have a lot to learn, right? And in, in stressful seasons, um, we find ourselves like um, getting caught up. And that, that's a phrase that I just kind of want you to keep. If, if you don't remember anything else today, as you leave today, I want you to think about that word caught up. Because we've allowed ourselves, uh, not just over the past 18 months, but really in our lives, to be caught up by different things, oftentimes other than love. And, uh, and I remember that story reminded me of a, of a quote from Walter Buber, who was a Jewish-German theologian back in the early 1900s, who wrote, I was so preoccupied with my own experience with God, I failed to be fully present to someone who needed God's love. It is fully possible to have a profound spiritual experience, but that experience is worth nothing without a deeply present love for people. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us hear your word today, open our hearts and our minds to receive from your spirit what you have to say to us through your word today in your name. Amen. 
So I want to tell you two stories uh, from the, the life and love of Jesus, um, two narratives, um, two of my favorite narratives uh, of the ministry and of Jesus, and then I'm going to spend a few minutes um, applying those two stories to our emotional and spiritual health, all right? So the first story I want to I um, read to you is from John chapter 4. If you've been in church for a while, you're going to know both of these stories really well, um, but, I, but they bear like reading again because they're just such a great picture of how Jesus Jesus loved in the midst of, of the life that he lived. Um, chapter four, verse four, Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. By the way, a little background here is that he was Jewish um, and Jewish and Samaritans did not get along. Um, Jewish people were very um, anti-Samaria. Matter of fact, many times they would travel a greater distance just to walk around Samaria rather than having to go through Samaria. Um, and so that they would just, they Jewish people kind of thought Samaritans as like half-breeds and just very negative um, towards them. And so here we see that they had to go through Samaria on their way. And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat warily beside the well about noontime. Just get that picture. Jesus is bone tired. And he's just like, he's worn out. And so he sits at this well. That's not unusual. Right, he just sits there and he's just going to take a break, um, and his disciples are going to leave leave him to go get some food. Well, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "Now, if you're a Jewish person in the first century reading this, and you get to that phrase, and Jesus said to her, you're immediately going, what? One, Jews didn't Jews didn't talk to Samaritans, right? Men didn't talk to." foreign women at wells. I mean, that was inappropriate. I hope you understand, I hope you, I mean, I hope you get that. This was not, this was not an appropriate conversation for Jesus to be having with this woman, but he's Jesus, gets to do what he wants, right? <laughs> and he said to her, please give me a drink. He's that tired that he's willing to have, he, he kind of, um, he shows his vulnerability, and Evan's gonna talk about this next week. He shows his vulnerability to this woman, and he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. <laughs> the first time, the woman was surprised. <laughs> of course she was, for all the reasons I just mentioned. For Jews refused to have anything to do with, this, with Samaritans. And so she said to Jesus, um, you're a Jew, you know, you, you know that, right? You're a Jew, um, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. If you've never read this story, you need to go to John 4 later today and just read through the entire chapter. It's this beautiful um, picture of how Jesus was so present to this woman, how he was connected. He, he wanted to know her and her story. He actually even told her some of her story that there's no way that he could know, but he had a word of knowledge from God and he was like just sharing this and just like, I want to be part of your life. And she ends up getting saved in the entire village with her. And it's an amazing, an amazing story. Well, We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's, let me tell you another story. Luke chapter 19. Probably one of my favorite stories in, of, of the life and love of Jesus is in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is going to have an interaction with a guy named Zacchaeus. And Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus and he was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Okay, a little background on this guy. So he's Jewish and he, is, um, and he is working for the Roman government. 
that right there makes him, um, makes him very unpopular with the Jew, his Jewish brothers and sisters. Not only that, not only is he working for the enemy, Rome, because Rome at that time was, uh, had occupied um, Judea, um, the place of the Jewish people, and, uh, and the Jews did not want them there. Matter of fact, they were waiting for the Messiah, who was Jesus, but they didn't recognize him as, as the Messiah, but they're waiting for the Messiah to come and, get, and, and free them from Roman oppression. And this guy's working for Rome. Not only is he working for Rome, but he personally had become very rich working for Rome. So he is doubly like canceled. I mean, like nobody's gonna have anything to do with this guy. So he tries to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I'm pretty sure somebody wanted to include that he was short. I'm just, as a short man, I understand what they're doing right there. <laughs> Anyways, enough said. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree <laughs> beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. It's amazing. I mean, Jesus is, Jesus, I mean, not only, he just got done talking to a Samaritan woman. I don't know the timeline anyways. He, just, he was talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. Now he's talking to this tax-collecting Jew, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I want to have dinner with you. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, you can imagine, and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. He was probably thinking that Jesus inviting himself over for dinner might have been justifying his behavior potentially. I don't know, right? Anyway, so he, but he was really excited and a lot of joy. But the people were what? Displeased. What people? All the people. Every single person that was in the crowd following Jesus, Roman, Jewish, they were all upset. Even the Samaritans probably were a little upset too because this guy was not, he was in Rome's pocket and he was against his people. And, and they, so they were very displeased and he's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Something happened in his interaction with Jesus that caused him a life change. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. There's a couple things, three things actually, three questions that I want you to ask today in applying these two stories to our own lives and our own relationships and how love is the measure of our maturity, of our emotional and spiritual health. Um, three questions, here they are. If you're taking notes, write these down. Am I fully present or distracted? Am I fully present or distracted? Two, am I loving or judging? And three, am I open or closed to being changed? We're gonna hit, hit, hit each of those for a moment. Am I fully present or distracted. The definition of distraction is this, a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. So what I wanna do is I wanna do a little interaction today. Um, so for those of you that are online, you can just uh, type in the chat uh, box there um, what the answer, an answer to this question, but I wanna interact with the crowd here as well. Like, tell me what are some things, and you just kinda yell them out, what are some things that prevent us from giving someone else our full attention? Say cell phones, <laughs> cell phones everywhere. <laughs> yeah, what else? Hungry. What's that? Hungry. Hungry, okay, yeah, what else? Work, Work. our jobs, what else? Insecurity, Insecurity. Some, just some, some internal stuff. What was it over here? Children. Children. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh-huh. How old are they? Yeah, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, for sure. What else? Here's iPhones. Yeah, yeah, our technology for sure. So, yeah, it's really easy to come up with things, right? Because we're, what are we? We're distracted. We're distracted by so many different things. Um, and this past year, I don't know about you, but I found myself getting caught up. There's that phrase again, getting caught up in what was going on in our nation. I found myself distracted by the news, by the election, by the, um, by the pandemic, and, that, and then I found myself getting distracted by should we wear masks, should I not wear masks, should I be vaccinated, should I not be vaccinated, should I, should I go to gatherings, should I not go to gatherings, should I open the church, should I not open the church? I mean, we were just distracted. There were so many things coming at all of us, right? Um, we were angry, we were anxious, some were depressed. Um, we were all affected by our inability to be present to the here and now right in front of us. We were distracted by all kinds of things even outside of us. And, and, and now Jesus obviously didn't have the same type of technology, no iPhones back then. Um, so maybe this isn't a fair comparison, but as I thought about how he was able to give his full attention to the Samaritan woman, to Zacchaeus, it's it just, it just on and on. I could tell you more and more stories about Jesus' presence, how he was fully present. Um, I started wondering, well, what, was it just because there was no technology or was there things that Jesus actually could have been distracted by but he chose not to be? And I thought about the Roman oppression. I mean, Rome, they were in charge. Jewish people didn't have the same rights as Roman citizens. They were were oppressed. And Jesus doesn't say one thing about it. In all of the gospels, you can't really find, I mean, the most he says is give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. That's the most, and that's not even negative towards Caesar, really. I mean, he doesn't even talk about it. The Roman oppression, it was huge. Matter of fact, there were Jewish rebellions happening before, during, and after the time of Jesus. His people rebelling against the Roman rule, and he doesn't talk about that either. There's no record of us, of him like engaging in these, these very current events for him. What about the hate for Samaritans? He keeps running, running contrary to that. Inviting Zacchaeus to dinner. I mean, he's running contrary to his culture, his religious context even. I mean, it's just, it's, and he just, he was just fully present. Do you know that he had an unbelieving brother James? Maybe more of his family were unbelieving, didn't believe that he was who he claimed to be. Can you imagine that, how that could be a distraction? But he just, he never allowed himself to be caught up. I'm sure he struggled, just like we all do, with distractions, but he didn't allow himself to be caught up in it. Do you know the difference? It's like all your, you remember when O.J. Simpson's trial, anybody old enough to remember O.J. Simpson's trial? We were caught up in it. I mean, we should have been at work, but we were watching the news. Like, what's gonna happen? You know, the white thing, white, white Ford, whatever it was, driving down the freeway? That's news. You know, I mean, we're like, I, I, can't, I can't turn it off. I can't turn it off. We're caught up in it. And that's what we've been. And it, like I said, if there's one thing that you decide to do today is to cut off the caught upness of the world around you. Pay attention Be involved, engage in the world according to your passions and giftings, but don't allow yourself to get caught up in all the things happening in our culture at the expense of loving other people right around you. Here's some practical ways to be present. We all know this one. Turn off the tech. I was on a run the other day with my dog over at... I'm not even going to tell you which park because I don't want you to take your dog there, but it's an off-leash park. 
Um, and uh, it's a wonderful park. If you, if you like running or walk with your dog off leash, it's a great park. Google it. And so um, I was out running and, uh, um, and um, there was a person, I passed them several times on my run and every time the Bluetooth headset was in and they were talking on their phone, doing, doing work. And I was just, some, it just really made me mad. I was like, so I just I actually wanted to stop her. I said, you're not spending any time with your dog. You know, I got very judgy, Mike. I got very judgy. And we'll talk about that one in just a minute. But I was like, I was like, be present. Man, you're running by, you're walking by the river with your dog. It can't get any better than that. But we're busy. We're so distracted. So turn off the technology. Turn it off. I'm not saying like turn it off indefinitely. You can if you want. But turn it off once a week. Once a day, just have times where you're just like, I'm gonna put it away and I'm not gonna respond to the emails. I'm not gonna respond to the text messages. I'm not gonna respond to social media. I'm, not gonna, I'm just gonna take, there's gonna be a set time every day or week that I'm not gonna get on. I, it's pretty funny. I've been watching less news lately, um, lately <laughs> for about eight months. And, um, and I've been off of social media. My assistant kind of posts for me occasionally. And, um, I, and I'll talk with some, somebody in the church and they're really mad about something going on in society. And I'm like, oh, maybe I, should, maybe I should read up about that. I don't really know anything about that. And yet when I compare our emotional states, I'm way more at peace. I'm more in tune with my own self, with the relationships around me, with, with my God as a result of that. And so, um, again, I'm not saying you should turn it off indefinitely, but take some time. Um, here's another practical way that you can be present. When you think of someone, call that someone. Every time now when, when, I feel, when a name drops into my heart, I wonder, how are that so-and-so's doing? I text so-and-so. I want to find, hey, how are you doing? And it's amazing how timely some of those conversations end up being in their life. Um, don't, don't discount the work of the Holy Spirit doing things like that, where he just drops a name and someone that you haven't seen for a while or you're wondering how so- someone's doing, reach out to him. Um, a third way, go on long walks with friends and without the tech, right? <laughs> don't, don't be doing this on your walk, right? Um, or dinner times with the kids. Just, they'll hate you for it for a while. Turn off your cell phone. Take it away. Put it in a little container until dinner's over. Um, and you do that long enough, dinner time will be some of the best conversations you've ever had with your children. It'll take some time because they'll be irritated for a while, but get, get, get used to it and it'll just all of a sudden be so much, so much better. All right, let's keep going. Am I loving or judging? That's the second question. Am I loving or judging? This is a really interesting about the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus, uh, throughout his life, was for the poor and the marginalized. He actually said, I came for the poor. I mean, Luke chapter four, I came to seek and save the lost. I came for those that didn't have. I came for the poor and the marginalized. That's, that was his mission statement. So doesn't it seem a bit inconsistent that Jesus would go to the house of a tax-collecting Jewish man who is keeping the poor and marginalized poor and marginalized? That, like, for me was like, what? That's why everyone in the crowd was so displeased. 
because Jesus was obviously came. I mean, his message of reconciliation to God was, was, was very um, um, caught up, that people were caught up in that that were poor and marginalized. They were like, ah, this is what we've been waiting to hear, you know, someone that, that wants equality and all of these things, right? And then, so they were, and then all of a sudden he goes to the home of a tax collector. I mean, what? If, if you ever wondered that God plays favorites, just remember what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. He, there are no favorites for God. He loves everyone. He wants everyone. He wishes that no one would be lost, even the people that you don't like. Even the people that if you could, you would cancel them. The people that you have defriended on Facebook. Jesus wants them too. And that just tells you, I mean, I mean if, if anyone that Jesus should judge, it was Zacchaeus. Man, bring down the fire, Lord. This guy is not good. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. It's become normalized, isn't it, in our culture to disapprove of anyone who has a dissenting view from us and to do it publicly. And that's not a political statement, though it is a political statement because everything in our society is this way now. It's just so normal to judge people that don't think the same way we do or believe the same way that we do and, and we feel like we, even just to keep up in our culture, we've gotta go along with that and, and, and otherwise we're gonna get, you know, we're gonna get marginalized ourselves if we don't stand up and fight for truth because nobody else is and, and we've gotta judge people that, that don't stand for God's truth and all of this stuff and it's just, it's, that's a slippery slope that, that doesn't represent the, the life and love of Jesus. Karl Bartha, a theologian, said that judging others leads us into the root and origin of sin, the arrogance in which man wants to be his own and his neighbor's judge. I don't really have time to do this, but I'm gonna read from Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. We've based a lot of this series on his, on his most recent book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And this is what he wrote about this idea. When people outside the church describe Christians, one of the first words they use is judgmental, and they are right. We judge our spouses for not doing life our way. We judge our close friends when their politics differ from our own. We judge our adult children for making choices we think they shouldn't. We judge our coworkers for not doing their jobs as well as we'd like. We judge our neighbors for not being responsive to the gospel. We judge Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, Sikhs, and other faiths along with atheists and agnostics for not following Jesus as Savior and Lord. We judge younger or older generations for making choices of which we don't approve. We judge people for their different social class, race, ethnicity, appearance, or education. We judge them for dressing up or dressing down, for the movies they watch, the cars they buy, or the music they listen to. We even judge people based on their Enneagram number. And when I say we judge people, I mean we turn our differences into virtues of moral superiority. We turn our differences into virtues of moral superiority and in doing in so doing we create never-ending ways to subtly categorize people and diminish their humanity. It's become normalized. I don't know about you, but when I focus on judging others that I disagree with, um, the only person really hurt in that equation is me. It causes um, anxiety in me. And I'm like, why are they saying that? What are they thinking? Why don't they do, you know, it's just, I'm the one getting anxious. I haven't even said anything to this person. They're just living their life, doing their thing. But me judging someone else causes anxiety and depression and, and, and all of that in my own life, right? Um, so here's some practical ways about not being judgmental. Um, practice curiosity. Um, I love, you know, there's two types of people I've found um, in a conversation. 
most of us are the first type where we, um, where we are telling people about what's going on in our lives and we're always just waiting for the other person to stop talking so we can, oh, that, you know, say, they say something and that reminded me of another story of my life so I share that story and then they, th- that reminds them of something else so they keep talking. Um, it's rare to find the second person, the one who asks questions. Oh, tell me more about that. I've realized in my, I've tried, I've been working on this over the last few years of like when someone's telling this story to me and a, 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 a similar story in my life comes to mind that I'm ready to share, what I've tried to do is I've tried to put that off to the side and ask a question. I've tried to just like, okay, I'm gonna get to that <laughs> because it's a conversation, right? And the person wants me to tell my side, my side of the story as well. But, but I wanna just wait and just like, I don't, wanna, I don't want that to be my first response. I wanna like, wait, wait. What did you mean by that? Or tell me more about that. It's really interesting. I, I was on my way back from Billings. We had a conference just uh, Friday and I spent the night with Rod Kirk, our operations pastor, his cousin in Twin Falls. And, and she's a, she has a PhD, has taught at Idaho State University, I think, um, for 20 some years. And her degree is in potato farming. Who knew? <laughs> I was super curious. Now, I'm going through, I'm doing PhD in leadership, so of course I, I want to tell her about my PhD work, you know, that I'm working on. But I, re, I, I told her, but I, re, I, I stopped just thinking, you know, telling her about my program and wanted to find out about her program. You know what she did? She kept on trying to come back to my program. It was an amazing conversation. And we were both, and it was, I just don't find people like that very often. So Practice curiosity. Pay attention to what's going on in your heart and your, your mind and your thoughts and your emotion. When you're starting to feel judgy, when you're starting to feel those, those emotions come up, a frustration, just kind of, okay, well, what's going on here? Why is that? Um, practice empathy. You know, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Like, listen to them. See, well, why, why do they think that? <laughs> and don't judge them for thinking that. Like, why do you think that? Ask them, you know. Tell me more about that. All right, third one, I need to get going here. Am I open or closed to being changed? Am I open or closed to being changed? Uh, Jesus was perfect, so he didn't have to change. I get that, but it's amazing how open he was to the Samaritan and to Zacchaeus. He was open to relationship. He was open to listening. He was opening to seeking to understand. Truly loving another means we need to learn how to listen. Um, we know, you know, we're, we, if we're not open to being changed by listening to someone else, then, then what happens is every conversation is just a one-sided monologue where we're trying to convince someone else of something. And there's nothing, there's no life there. Um, so every conversation has a level of curiosity. Um, here's a couple things you can do. Um, try new things. This will create openness in your heart. This will create like, oh, I'm open to new things. Um, food. Try food you, now, not broccoli, I'm not saying that, because that's over the top. It shouldn't even be part of the food group thing. It's awful. But try other food, try new food. I was thinking of my, my son Spencer, he's 17, for one of, his last, one of his last projects in school this last week, he had to make some food and then we got to grade it. Thankfully, I was traveling and Suzanne had to grade it. You know what he decided to make? Avocado sweet potato toast. No, no, <laughs> awful, you don't, yeah, what? Sweet potatoes, I don't like sweet potatoes. I don't like avocados, that's a little strange, I know, but, but he put these things together, and, and Suzanne was like, this is amazing. That was surprising enough that he did that all t- by himself, but you know what was more surprising? 
he liked it. He was open. He was curious. He was like, oh, let me try some new food. Maybe go on an adventure you've been wanting to do, but you've never had the courage to do it. Um, Relationships, be open. Um, Meet with someone that's not like you and practice curiosity. Just intentionally, you know, meet with that, you know, crazy liberal aunt that you have in your family or that, oh, that conservative uncle that just, you just spend time with them and listen to them. Ask them questions. Oh, here's one. And then I got I to gotta move on. Turn on the other news channel. <laughs> I'm messing with stuff now, I know, I know. Um, I do that regularly um, when I am kind of watching the news. I turn it on, it's amazing um, <laughs> the difference of what they would choose to report, how they report it, what they say about it. I'm just like fascinated by that. I'm like, wow, it couldn't be more different, you know? And, um, and it's interesting, and so um, do that. Do you know that, that bias exists on both sides? And I have a bias just telling you I, that they have a bias. I'm biased towards them having bias, but we all have it. And I, it's amazing to me when I'm talking to a Christ follower and, they, and we're talking about some present-day event and, and they start they start telling me what they think about it and, I, and because I had watched that news channel the night before, I'm like, That's, you're seeing exactly like, how did you memorize that script so quickly? <laughs> like you're just saying exactly what they said the night before on the news, that's amazing. And I think, I wonder if they could do that with Psalm 23. <laughs> or the Lord's Prayer. And I, I know this is gonna get all preachy guilty on you right now, but when you can... When you can quote arguments for your bias, for your side of uh, of an argument, better than you can quote this, there is something wrong with this church. There's something wrong. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it on just a little bit more because this is, this is truth. Everything else is, is at best a glimmer of truth, at best. This is truth. And you, there's enough in here to spend a lifetime trying to figure out what did they mean by that? What are they trying to say? I wonder if there's any bias in the Bible. Huh. I mean, just asking some of those kinds of questions, you could spend your entire life just doing that and not being caught up. If you're gonna get caught up in anything, get caught up in the book of John. We're gonna get caught up in a couple weeks in the book of Romans. We're gonna spend the rest of the summer going through the book of Romans. We're gonna get caught up in it. Get caught up in this. Which means if you're gonna do that, it means you're gonna have to turn some things off. It means you're gonna have to listen to some other voices a little bit less. Why is this important? Well, I hope you see one reason that making love a measure of your maturity is for your own sake. For your own spiritual and emotional health, love is the best answer. But I also hope that you see that the gospel is at stake. We don't have to accept the narrative that Christians are against the world. Why do we not have to accept that narrative? Because Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world. 
And he so loved the world. We can, we can change the way the, our culture views at least this church, at least the people of, of God called West Side Church, right? Because they so love the world. Man, they're in it, but they're not of it. They just, they're just always present. They're, they're, they're engaged with our, the, the things that are, are concern us in our, in our society. So we're, they're, they're always there. They're, and they're never judging us. It's amazing how curious they are about our life and it's incredible how they don't judge us because we live differently or make different life choices. They're just always present and, and engaged and oh man, it's just amazing. So Jesus, would you help us to be that kind of people? Help us, Jesus, to be people who represent you well in this world. That love is a measure of our emotional and spiritual state that, that you would help, to, um, help to us to become more like you in your love. Help us to, as we read the stories of Zacchaeus and, 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 and the Samaritan woman and, and the woman who was, had an issue of blood for 12 years and how you loved her and the Roman centurion and how you loved him by healing his servant and just all the stories one after the other of how you engaged with the, with the world around you in such a way that, that today billions of people believe in you. 2,000 plus years after the fact, not because of not just because you were a great teacher and you had some really interesting things to say, but you loved to the ultimate where you gave your life for us. You so loved the world that you gave your life for us. Help us, Jesus, to express that radical, audacious love to our world. Lord, help us to never stop talking about how much you love us. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen.